Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to Talk Money, where we talk about everything financial. Today's program, when buying life insurance, the biggest questions many people have, do I need life insurance and how much do I need? And then when you get those two questions settled, you have to ask the question, what kind do I need? How do I buy it? What's the purpose of it? Well, my guest today, Ryan Ely, will help us unravel the puzzle of just who needs it, how much, and what kind. That's important. Stay with us. It's a great program. You don't want to miss that. Also, coming up in the second half, Scott Jordan and Tommy Armstrong will give us insight on ways to avoid common estate planning mistakes, things that happen all the time. You'll find out what can actually put a family at odds with each other, and why some estates end up in court when it should have been very simple to avoid court and court costs. We'll talk about that. Today, you'll find that uh, we can listen to podcasts at all times. And, of course, the key is you can decide to do that. Just simply go to Talk Money programs on the iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. And that's all you got to do. Listen to any podcast, this one or anything else that's on the uh, with Talk Money. From our Did You Know files, 46% of Americans surveyed believe that the future generations of retirees will be worse off financially than they are the current people. That's from the Center of Longevity and Retirement. Well, that's not a very optimistic group of people. If you think about it, they're just simply saying half are saying that people are going to be worse off than they are. From the Department of Commerce, here's something that's very important. I kind of find this to be a little bit intriguing. This year they said that in April, the United States exported $211.2 billion of goods and services an all-time monthly record for our country. Now, I heard that recently stated on another news program. I uh, was amazed how you could take something actually that was very positive, very optimistic for trade war, what we're talking about, and turn that statement into something negative. April was just a good month. Leave it at that. Don't get into trying to take everything you read and make it a negative. From the Administration of the Community Living. Now, this is a group that talks about Americans and the aging population. Uh, I read something recently from them. They said 22% of Americans, at least 85 years old, need help with personal care. That's on a daily basis. The number of Americans at least age 85 is projected to more than double. That's from 6.4 million to in 2016 to 14.6 million in 2040. We're needing we're living longer and we need help. Coming up, Ryan Ely, just how much life insurance do you need? And in the second half, how to avoid some common, common estate planning mistakes with Scott Jordan and with Tommy Armstrong. If you have a question for us on Talk Money, just simply go to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Send us the question or the comment. We'll be glad to get it on the air. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search 
Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker, Tommy Armstrong, Scott Jordan, and Ryan Ely are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM 990 FM 107.9. We've got a special guest with the Ryan Ely. He's going to be talking to us about basically insurance 101. Why do you need it? How much should you buy? What kind? Those were the questions we talked about in the monologue. And so welcome, Ryan, to the program, sir. Thanks for having me. You know, Ryan, one of the biggest questions that we, we have with a lot of people that we get and we think they come through this process and they say, okay, I kind of know I need life insurance. I, I kind of know that my parents had life insurance. But really, let's talk about who really needs life insurance. Well, different people need life insurance for different reasons. For example, you have uh, married couples with no kids. They ask themselves, as one spouse should pass away, would the other be able to maintain the same lifestyle without the added income that used to be there? And then would the surviving spouse be able to pay off debt, such as a mortgage, credit card, car loans, things of that nature? So you're talking about a, a relationship where you don't have kids today. Correct. But they're saying, okay, do I need life insurance if I don't have kids today? I don't need that. I don't have that little person that I got to take in care to take care of. But you're talking about debts that they may have acquired as a couple, mortgages, car Correct. loans, and things like that. That's what they need to pay it off. Maybe they don't need a lot, but they need something there to take care of. But you know, one of the biggest questions, Ryan, that I get mm-hmm. with a lot of people like that, I say to them, especially young couples, because mm-hmm. I had this to happen to me personally. Where, uh, you know, it was a young couple, no kids, but, uh, you know, they ended up, he passed away from, from some freakish little accident, but it was serious, and she was pregnant. And so we didn't know she was pregnant at the time, but the reality is when you're planning, we don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen in the next 30 minutes, 30 days, 30 years. The reality is we plan, and you're saying, think about that when you're working through the process of who needs it. Correct, correct. And even um, when, when you talk about planning for kids with no kids, that leads me into people married with children. It's the same scenario of being married with no children, but now you've afforded a lifestyle for not only your spouse, but also your children. And with children, you have very specific debts, such as daycare and schools. And would you, would you really want to disrupt that pattern of life if that child, um, that child has become accustomed to? Oh, yeah, that's a real big issue. That's a real, real thing when you think about that. What about the single parent? To me, that's a... That's where there is a tremendous need for what we're talking about, life insurance. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, you want to safeguard the financial future of your child or, or children if there's no parent present. And a life, life insurance proceeds can go towards the maintenance or well-being of a minor through a carefully executed trust. Okay, so if you're talking about a trust here now, when you, you're not just you're, you're setting up a minor and so this child can't inherit it may be the beneficiary, but you you got to set up something to take care of it. You can't name the child as the beneficiary. You got to name a trust. Correct. Right. When, so, and that trust has got to have some people to take care of it. We're going to talk to the other guys coming up. Let me introduce you to them. Tommy Armstrong and Scott Jordan. Jordan are going to join us. And guys, we're talking in the second half of the program about estate planning. But as Ryan's mentioned, Scott, when the, when you think through this, you guys deal with this, and we're all dealing with it. You got a single parent with a minor child. There's some things they need to do specifically. Talk, talk to me about that. Scott? 
Uh, well, you know, I think, you know, like Ryan said, you definitely want to make sure that their financial future is taken care of. And a lot of times you want to name a specific guardian in that instance to take care of that child. And there might be a financial burden put upon that person if you don't leave some sort of, uh, you know, an insurance or some sort of assets to help take care of the child in that event. So they got to also name a trust. You're talking about a guardian. There's a lot of steps that's got to be taken. So, it's, you know, I think what we're going through here, looking at it, life insurance for a single parent is really, really important. And Ryan, that's kind of one of those things that whether you're talking about the well-being of a minor, you just don't want the minor to be out in left field with with no assets to take care of. And if we think about that, nobody wants that. And yet there's people that we know that that's what happens to them. Correct. Okay. One of the things, I guess, you go through this, you said married, married couple with no kids, Mm -hmm. married couple with kids, excuse me, and then single parents, what about the retiree? Have they lived long enough now that they don't need insurance? No, uh, retirees actually need insurance. Many times we see instances where life insurance proceeds from people passing well into retirement go to take care of estate taxes, funeral costs, and medical bills. Uh, life insurance proceeds allow these things to be taken care of without liquidating the assets that were built for that for those purposes. That's a good point. So that you're talking about the fact that it gives him the freedom to kind of make some decisions mm-hmm. without having to all of a sudden have a garage sale. Correct. You know, Tommy, when you walk through all of these, who needs it? Do you see things in the practice with where there is that special person that says, well, I don't need it and I can do this, or mom and dad's going to take care of it? Or do you hear that sometimes said where the person just says, I don't think I need it, or has, has Ryan covered everybody? Well, Ryan, Ryan gave us a good broad good broad brush of of our typical situations but uh when we do when we do get into planning for a lifetime for a person or a family uh then they may they may think they've they've got it covered with other assets Mm -hmm. so just as ryan stated a good use of lifetime life insurance is to protect those assets those assets that have been generated from being used for a different purpose Mm -hmm. and that that's usually how the conversation goes a person has successfully accumulated assets to a point where they don't think they need life insurance. But then when you move away a little bit from the death benefit as being the basic feature to life insurance being a tool, then it can be used to protect those assets that that person has built, again, from being used for a purpose that they were not built for in the first place. All right. Well, that's a great point. So buying life insurance is a part of anybody's financial strategies are going through the process. How much? That's the question. That's the next thing is if I know that I need it. Uh All right, Ryan, I guess how much do I need? Let's talk about that. So there's two basic questions you want to ask yourself when you're talking about how much do I need? Number one, uh, how much money will my family need at my death to meet immediate expenses and debts? And then number two, how much will they need to maintain their standard of living? So You basically want to create uh, an equation where financial obligations minus the resources and assets that you've accumulated to pay those obligations and what's left over is your life insurance need. So let's go back through that again. You said financial obligations. Now Mm -hmm. that I'm assuming is debt, Credit card, mortgage debt, credit card debt, the the nursing, uh, uh, not nursing care, but uh, well, it could be nursing care. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that's an obligation, you're saying anything that the person has got that's an obligatory th- thing for his family, that's what you're talking about, yes. a financial obligation. Yes, Any, anything that that person who has passed is was paying for. So then when you say resources and assets, now... Is that's my savings account, my 401 account, anything that I can add to a bucket that says I've got 
100,000, 200,000, whatever it is, 50 to, you know, whatever it is, if my obligation is, let's just use a number, I got an obligation that's going to be Mm $200,000. I got to pay off the house or whatever, minus, and I got 75 or 100,000, let's say, because I'm simple math, 100,000 of assets that I need, what you're saying is the life insurance needs 100,000. Correct. All right, let me ask you this then. When do you calculate, and I'm asking either one of you three guys, and this is critical. When do I calculate? Here I am, a, a husband and wife with two children. Uh, I'm the, you know, the the breadwinner. Uh, wife is a stay-at-home mom. My wife's a stay-at-home mom. Um, I need to take care of them. There's going to be a Social Security benefit because I've got two minor children. Mm-hmm. That's important. But how much money do I need to have saved to take care of them over a long period of time in the lifestyle that they're accustomed to? How do I calculate that number? Well, what you want to look at is what we call a human life value. So the human life value concept really deals with the human capital, which is a person's income potential. Uh, It goes beyond just the numbers and considers the overall impact of losing someone, especially the breadwinner. Okay, so we're talking about... This this human life value, putting it into the family side and saying you got to take care of the family over the long period of time. Mm-hmm. It's not just looking at my obligation of debt. That's what a lot of people look at. It's just thinking debt. It's also taking care of my family over the long period of time. Scott, does that does that present a problem for some people? Because if you think about it, Social Security. Let's say Social Security is going to spend pay two thousand dollars a month. I need three thousand. I'm I'm short a thousand dollars a month to take care of what my family would be accustomed to living. How do I go through this process to make sure I'm covering it? I need so many dollars to pay a thousand dollars. Is that what I do, or just come up with a number? Uh, well, I think there's a lot of different ways to calculate that, Jim. But kind of what you're describing there is we need a bucket of money that can spin off that extra thousand dollars a month. Now. You know, when we're playing with people, we're always going to assume a real conservative rate of return that that money's invested in because it has to last their whole lifetime. So what can I – how much income can I reasonably expect off this bucket of money, and does that cover the gap? To keep okay, my family. So, so let's go to saying a thousand. Let's. I tell you what. Let's let's use some numbers that we can kind of put in our heads. I need forty thousand dollars a year. Social Security is going to provide twenty thousand dollars a year. So now I'm twenty thousand dollars short. I got half a million dollars at four percent. I think that's a reasonable assumption if if the person is comfortable with that. I think that you know we do a lot of studies around that. Four percent is a Pretty safe withdrawal rate, not guaranteed that the bucket will last, but that's something that I would probably assume. And so I think that number is a little higher than most people think it would be. Is that a sticker shock to some people? I think think? it is very much, especially when you get into trying to replace, you know, $100,000 worth of income or $150,000 worth of income. You know, when I'm talking to people about this, you know, there's a there's always this word life insurance need. And I, I think it's more of a wants decision. It's what do you want for your family if you're not here? Do you want them to do all the things you guys would have done if you were here? So if they're dependent on your income, how do we replace that for them? Mm. You know, and that can be a big number to some people. And, uh, you know, we see we see some sticker shock around that. But when you look at the reality around it, that's what it takes to keep them in that lifestyle that they become accustomed to. I think that's a great statement, a need versus a want. A want to, I mean, i thinking of college education planning. planning. Ryan, when you sit down with someone, you talk about these obligations. Again, mm-hmm. it's not just debt. And so many people think I've just got to pay off the debt. 
it's the obligation of sake paying for college. You got you happen to have a couple of children, uh, and, I, and I know you love those kids, and I know you're you're dedicated to taking care of them. And college education is critical for them. So I know you're already setting aside dollars, not only on a savings side, but your life insurance just in case. That's an obligation that as a husband, a dad, a provider that that you're wanting to put together. How do you help someone understand that's a part of their process? Well, you look at if you were to pass away, what are the things that you would have done for your family in the event that you were still here? If you were to, let's say, pay for a car when your child turns 16 or send them off to college or pay for a prom dress, do you still want those things to happen? And if you do, then you want to put that into your plan when you talk about how much life insurance you really need. So that's that obligation. It's that want to that you're talking about that Scott mentioned. I heard it put one time, and I thought it was so such such a well said statement. It said, "If you're planning for college education, you don't want this child to come up to mom, dad's passed away, and say, can I go to college?' Right. You want them to go to say, where am I going to college? And that's such a that's a different mindset, a different thought process, and yet so critical when we're going through this process. We've said who needs it, but then how much? And this is up to what Scott and Tommy were both saying and you're saying. It's a planning process. It's a strategy where you say, I'm looking at the obligations of what I would like to happen if I'm not in the picture. Yes. I like what you guys are thinking about that because I think so many people think there's just to pick a number and I got to buy this much insurance. And let's do this then. If we if we say okay, we've gotten through this process, and I'm going to say it needs to be a hundred thousand dollars. Not maybe it's a million dollars. We're not worried about how much it is, but how what kind do I buy? What 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 the different types is term? I mean, I tell you what, guys, it's so complicated today with so many different. Used to be term and whole life. And and that was it. Today, every company's got this, you know, one other deal that's supposedly better than anybody else. And how do you help someone make a decision of which one's right? How do you help? The, what, let's talk, talk about the two fundamental types, term and whole life. But then help me understand how do you help somebody know which is the right kind? OK, let's let's start with term insurance. So term is typically the most economical way to go when we talk about life insurance. It uh, protects you for a specific period of time, which is the term. So there's 10, 20, 30 year term. Um, and it only pays a death benefit if you pass away within that time period. It's extremely common and a lot of people have it. Okay, so I actually hear a lot of people talk about term. You hear other radio personalities sometimes say term's the only way to go. Uh, and term is, as you say, it's common, it's economics, that, that you know, economics drive it sometimes. It's just what you can afford. Uh, you know, Tommy, in a, in a process when I'm talking with someone, and, you know, you got to cover, let's say it's a million-dollar need. I know we look at it in our practice and say if it's a million-dollar need, We'd like for you to see more permanent coverage because it's got to be there. But reality is we don't particularly care whether it's term or whole life or whatever kind. It's covering the need. Well, in, in, look, in looking at a lifetime of a family and what their needs or wants are, then life insurance is a, is a valuable contractual tool that is bought and paid for. Term insurance is, is the most affordable and you can get the best bang for your buck 
your premium dollar can buy a lot of term coverage if you die within that specified period. That's what Ryan was saying. If it's yeah. 10 years, 20 years, stay within that period. But, <laughs> don't, don't outlive it, though. Right. If you do, but if you do outlive it and you have a, a need that needs to be addressed in a more permanent lifetime manner, then you would look at a permanent life insurance solution so that you might so that you would accumulate cash value to go along with your premium to stretch that contractual promise out to meet the lifetime need that you said you wanted to meet. Okay, so that's a, that's critical from that standpoint. Ryan, when we talk about term, the other side is, is, is basically, Tommy just said, permanent. Talk to me about permanent. So permanent insurance is basically designed to last as long as you do. Um, it's the only type that will guarantee you that someone will receive a death benefit when you pass. And you can build it on a, uh, for a couple different uses, such as uh, lifelong protection, cash accumulation, or even a combination of both. And, of course, keeping in mind that you buy life insurance, literally it's there to protect a person for death. But with, with permanent life insurance, you do get some extra fringe benefits if it's possibly design, properly designed right. If you borrow money, you got to understand that it may create some adverse tax you know, consequences if you haven't gone through the process to avoid those. So just keep in mind whether you're borrowing money or you may surrender the policy, keep in mind that that's all part of it. you got to know what you're doing if you're going to use it for some of those other purposes. The primary purpose of permanent life insurance and term life insurance is the death benefit. To do meet those obligations we were talking about it just a few minutes ago. If you just tuned in, my guest today is Ryan Ely. We're talking about Insurance 101. Scott Jordan and Tommy Armstrong. It's going to come up in a few minutes. We're going to talk about common estate planning mistakes. But stay with us because when we come back, we're going to find out about how you go through the process of knowing which policy is the right form for you, which one's best for you, and how do you ask the questions. This is some of the toughest things to do. People just get sticker shocked, and they don't know the questions to ask. We're going to help you with that. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation of purchase or sell security. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, to listen to today's program on podcast or other past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. If you've got a question for us, just simply talk money at shoemakerfinancial.com. Send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We're talking with Ryan Ely, Scott Jordan, and Tommy Armstrong. We're talking about Insurance 101. We've covered some basic questions that you have. Who needs it? And we found out that basically a married couple with no kids, married couple with kids, single parents, retired people, if you have a need, a good insurance agent, a good financial advisor is going to help you understand the need and walk you through the process. And it basically, as as, uh, Ryan was telling us earlier, how much becomes a calculation. You look at your financial obligations minus what you currently have in assets and resources, 
that's going to give you a life insurance need. And those financial obligations are not just your debt. Ryan was making a comment about prom dresses, about buying a car, all of the, going to college. All of those things are a part of any family. When you look at the overall family, it's a part of that financial obligation. We talked about term and permanent. And now how do we find it? How do we get it? How do we make the decision to buy it? Most of the time, it's uh, you choose an agent because it's a family friend or somebody to refer to you, and you go in and you sit down with the agent or he comes to your home or whatever it happens, financial advisor, and you've got to go through the process. He's going to start telling you some things and sharing with you, and you kind of, if you're not careful, we get kind of, uh-oh, I don't know what to ask. I, I'm nervous. I'm like a deer in headlights. What's going on? So, Ryan, let's talk about this. What do you expect from what should I expect, I guess, from a financial advisor that's going to help me make a decision of what what type, how much, or an insurance agent, what type, how much, and, and just kind of give me some ideas of what to expect. So uh, a good agent or advisor will assess your financial situation first, look at your long-range objectives, and help you find the right coverage that really fits you. Um, also, a good thing to look at is what you can afford versus what you want the pol- policy to accomplish. Uh, life insurance should never be a one-time purchase that you forget about in a couple years. It should be something that you evaluate on a regular basis. So you're engaging with someone, the agent or advisor, with someone that's going to have to be a part of that process on, on a on a long-term basis because you can't just buy it and set it on the shelf. Correct, because situations change. When we go back to the situation where you have um, a married couple with no kids and now someone's pregnant and you have kids, <clears throat> now you may need more insurance. So you want it to be a fluid situation where you're always looking at it. That's a very, very important. So let me ask, Scott, i got a question for you. I've got... Here I am. I've got questions that I want to ask. I don't know. Should I ask them? I don't want to. You know, I got questions that I, you know, I just I don't even know where to start. Or the advisor or the agent is talking to me in language that I don't understand. What do I do? I mean, where where am I? Help our listeners know how to go through this process of buying insurance. Well, I think, you know, if if you're dealing with a good advisor or an insurance agent, they should be willing to answer any questions you have. Of course, there's always ways you can go out and do your own research. Um, But there's things that I would want to know, because when you're entering into a life insurance contract with a company, you know, it's a it's a one sided contract, but it's their obligation to pay. So you want to know who the company you're dealing with is. And there's rating agencies out there that you can refer to to see the uh, the ratings of the company and make sure you're dealing with a highly rated company because you want to make sure they can afford to pay their obligation if that time comes. Uh, you know, so whatever product or whatever method you're using to to fund your insurance need, whether it's term or a more permanent solution, you want to understand that situation. In term, you know, if it's a 10-year term, what happens in year 11? Does the policy go away? Does the, the rate just go up? I, I would want to know that so that I know what I'm dealing with from a long-term situation. If it's more of a permanent style, how does that work? How, how, do, how do I get credited on the cash I'm putting in there? What happens if I get five years into this and I decide I don't want to do it anymore? What are the consequences of that? Those are, so. those are big questions. If you've got questions for Ryan Ely, just give him a call at 757-5757. Ryan, you, you do a great job with this. And I and Scott, 757, same thing with all three of these guys. But, Ryan, you do a great job with this because I know this is an issue for so many people. It's a part of the, the basis of a financial 
strategy that we're working with someone. And when you go through that process, it's kind of like, you know, you, you need to help them understand what they're doing. And you said it, and I think it's critical. It is not something you purchase and put it on a shelf. It is fluid. It changes. There's more children that come into the family. Or there's a death, that, you know, somehow you may receive inheritance. It cha- All of those things really do play into a fluid insurance over a long period of time, insurance purchases over a long period of time. And that's what I think is you do such a good job. In summary, sir, if you were going to sit down with someone, let's just say we just walked into the office, what would you start? What would you tell them is the most important thing about insurance? The most important thing about insurance is to have some. If you, if that's, you that's it, <laughs> I, I would say that was well it. said. Yeah, that was Good well start. said. Good start. Well, I mean, because you really you just kind of hammered it. I mean, it uh, whether you like it or not. If you don't, and there's some things that are you know, there, may be the rare case that someone doesn't need it. Mm-hmm. But in most cases, whether it's married and no children or single, you know, they're not they're not married. They're single. They're going to create debt. They're going to create obligations. They're going to create a different lifestyle financially as they get older. And those are things that are going to have to have. Well, one of the things that I can say about life insurance, and this is a personal story of mine, and we'll take a break after this, but um, I came out of the military. I was uh, just got married and ended up having a child. I was getting my insurance and uh, determined that I needed to buy some. And they said, well, you got to come back in five years because you're uninsurable. And I said, well, wait a second, I got I got a term policy from the military, and it's a small amount. I need to get some more. And they said, well, you understand, you've had tuberculosis, and you're not insurable. And so that was early on. And then this last, about 11 years ago, I needed to do some estate planning. And you talked about that fluidity, mm-hmm. and that's so critical because I was making some changes. And I went in and had a physical, and everybody said, hey, man, you're in great shape. You look super. You're working out. You're doing all those things. And I came back, and they said, no, we're not going to be able to insure you. Because you have cancer. Now, I tell you what, guys, you want to have a real rude awakening? Just find out that you're trying to do something and you can't do it. And that's really what happened. So true story. Can't make that stuff up, folks. Stay with us because when we come back, I'm going to find about those mistakes that you make when you're doing your estate planning. And boy, do they create problems in a family. I mean, let me tell you what. You want to create a problem? Talk about money when somebody is going to inherit something and you made a mistake of how it's supposed to happen. Stay with us. Coming back. Tommy Armstrong, Scott Jordan, avoiding common estate planning mistakes. I'm Jim Shoemaker. And you're listening to Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. There are many great moments in the career of Senator Kenneth McKellar. He was the first senator from Tennessee to complete more than three terms, having served from 1917 to 1953, and held the position of President Pro Tem of the Senate under the current system in Congress during the Truman administration. With two economic landmarks named in his honor, Lake McKellar next to the Memphis Industrial District on President's Island and McKellar Airport in Jackson, Tennessee, it comes as no surprise that the senator was an early supporter of the creation of the Tennessee Valley Authority during the New Deal era. Despite the initial support, McKellar's relationship with the TVA grew strained over time, as Tennessee landowners felt they were not properly reimbursed for property acquired by the TVA. McKellar, who served as chairman of the powerful Appropriations Committee, intervened on the landowner's behalf. 
He knew that the uranium enrichment program from the Manhattan Project, which created the atomic bomb, was heavily dependent on the electricity produced by the TVA and threatened to defund the program until the TVA fully reimbursed the landowners. After President Roosevelt's death, his successor, Harry Truman, did not appoint a vice president, which placed McKellar next in line to become president until the law was changed in 1947. After running for a seventh Senate term, McKellar lost to Albert Gore Sr. in 1952. A longtime ally of E.H. Crump, McKellar's defeat in the senatorial race, coupled with the victory of an anti-Crump progressive candidate in the gubernatorial election, marked the end of an era in Tennessee public life. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now, back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, you think I'm kidding, but uh, reality is estate planning mistakes can create more problems in a family than you can imagine. I mean, there's a book out when I first got in the business many years ago called Human Drama in Death and Dying. And I tell you, it was just one chapter after another. And I was required to read that first year in the business. And, you know, everybody said, you need to understand this. And I thought, wow, I can't believe some of this. But now that I've been doing this for quite some time, it is amazing how families can get all tied up because somebody of just made a mistake in the estate plan and it didn't happen the way they were thinking it was going to. And all of a sudden you got two cousins or a sister and a brother or mom or whatever that don't speak to each other anymore. And it's all because of money. And it's because somebody forgot to do something in an estate plan. So let me start with Scott Jordan, a certified financial planner, of course, with the Shoemaker Financial Firm. And uh, Scott, we're talking about some of those issues of just the failure to develop a plan. So help me with that. Well, you know, I think a lot of people run the misconception that estate planning is only a concern of the super wealthy. But in reality, everybody needs to sit down and develop an estate plan. And actually, in reality, everybody has an estate plan, either by design or by default, right? So if you if you die without a will to determine where you want your assets to go and to whom, then, you know, the state that you die in will determine how those assets are distributed. And that might not line up with how you wanted things to happen. Uh, for instance, in Tennessee, a, a spouse is only entitled to a third or a child's share, whichever is greater. Well, you might have wanted everything to go to the spouse to take care of them in the life. Well, now they're stuck with only getting a third, and the rest is going And to so the without a will, you call that in dying intestate. Dying intestate, so, but, correct. But really, that's like uh, you say, well, I don't have a will. Well, actually, you're saying in the state of Tennessee, or in, in most states, you do have a will. There well, is you have to, a plan. You have a plan. It's just not yours, it necessarily. May not you may, you you may have a different idea about how you want things to be handled than the state of Tennessee I think state that is does. critical for a lot of people to think. And I think what you said initially is so many times people say, well, this is for the wealthy and I'm not there uh, yet or I'm not there now. And so they'd say, well, I don't need it. But but if you've got something, uh, any asset that you've got that you want it directed, you need to make sure that you're doing that either by way of a will 
or there's some things that you can do, and that's, of course, keeping good records, do some, you know, titling some things the way you might want something to go. But tell me, what about good records? Because, I mean, so many times I've had people to come in with shoeboxes, you know, or, or the, or the <laughs> leather-bound thing that Dad had, and it smells, you know. I mean, but that's where the records were, or they don't know which records to keep. Help us with that. Yeah, it's, it's not so much the uh, uh, smelly, you know, smelly container out of the attic as it is that we don't know what's out there and where it is. And the, and in the digital age, that's even worse because if everything is under a password and a login and mom or dad or uncle or brother haven't taken the time to share those logins with somebody or write them down and put them in a, a box that doesn't write and smell, then it becomes a scavenger hunt to even find out what is out there to determine what it is and where it's going to go so many people do have it locked up in their in their internet on the internet on their computer uh, all the records and so they have not shared that it, it changed you had to change your password yesterday and you don't tell your spouse or your you know you don't tell your children or something and uh, something happens and that's an issue that happened in a case with me a couple of weeks ago a couple of months ago uh, and the, the reality was that we had to do as you said scrounging around to come up with something now there's ways to, to break in obviously but it costs money to do that and that's not easy to do what about the larger estate what about keeping all the assets and values and putting together some type of strategy help me with that and when you when you're doing all of that what what are you looking for when you talk about records and things like that well it starts with something as simple as account statements or a list of bank accounts and account numbers and contacts at the bank that that would would be a good place to start uh access to safe deposit boxes uh really it just it's taking an inventory you know in and, and knowing what that is taking you know, an inventory I know, knowing where it is i know we require a lot of times with a lot of states and scott we do this where we sit down with people and to say we need the, the following documents and we try to have all that uh, with them and it changes you know it uh, there, there's a there's a fluidity to that uh, ryan mentioned that to us earlier about being some things are flu- but they change their desires and so they forget that they've changed something and that needs to be in the document how do we guide people through that process i know we talk about trying to review it with them uh, on a regular basis but so many times they think they've done that until you ask them how do you guide them through that how do you help people to know what the importance of it well, I think you just kind of touched on a key point, and it's that, you know, sitting down, you know, especially in more complex situations where people have a lot of moving parts and they tend to do a lot. Uh, you know, I can think of one client we have that w- we never know what's going to be in the estate yeah, he, from, he, from year to year. He so, called me yesterday. <laughs> so we have to sit down and make sure that we're doing an inventory of everything and make sure we know everything, how it's titled and all that kind of stuff so that we can help him plan for the future. And it's, you know, I, I think it's just sitting down. I think it helps to have somebody that can ask you questions, that knows the questions to ask so that we can keep that keep that organized for them and help them plan for their future. All right. So now we're talking about you develop a plan. That's uh, something that so many people think, okay, and, and the plan needs to be one that is entitled working with a lot of part of your family. It's not sometimes we have it where the husband or, or a spouse, somebody's doing the planning and the other spouse is not even aware of everything that's going on. We see that a lot. So you got to communicate it. 
you got to communicate it. And, you know, we do this a lot where we have family meetings. When, when the client's ready, you know, we bring in the family so that everybody is aware of what's going on. And that that's a, a couple of different purposes. That's getting them organized and everybody knows. But it also prevents some of that those unpleasant situations that can happen in a death when where people were out of the loop and they may think that they're not getting their fair share. You're talking about updating sometimes the beneficiaries and that changes that moves through that. Help me with that uh, when you talk about it. Well, that's that's a big one, Jim, and we've seen several problems around this. You know, whether it's um, life insurance policies, uh, retirement plans at work, your 401ks, 403bs, IRAs, all of those passed by beneficiary or by contract, we call that. So those will not go through. A will does not dictate how those assets are distributed upon death. So it's very important that those beneficiaries are kept up to date. Um, I've had situations in the past where, you know, a, a marriage dissolved and there's a new marriage now and the beneficiaries were never changed. So you know, death, the the assets go to the ex-spouse instead of the current spouse, and that's probably not what the uh, the person had desired, but it just was a failure to review all of those beneficiary designations and make sure they were up to date. What about sometimes, and we see this, and there's some issues about this, where you name the estate as the beneficiary. You say, okay, I'm not going to name a person. I'm going to name my estate, and therefore my will will dictate. What do you see as the issue with that? Well, there, you know, that that can be okay in certain situations, but you know, when a when the estate is named as a beneficiary, now those assets must pass through probate, which can add additional cost to selling the state is one problem with that. But you also you can lose certain strategies that are available, like with retirement accounts, the ability to stretch those over a beneficiary's uh, younger lifelong, mm-hmm. um, using those different distribution tables. We call that stretching those. Well, that can be lost in the event of naming the estate as the beneficiary. So there's a lot of uh, planning strategies that are eliminated when you name the estate as a beneficiary. So, so be careful with that when you start Be talking. careful. Like I said, there are, there are situations where that's okay, but it just needs to be a well-thought-out strategy if that is the so case. So getting a good attorney to be involved with you there is very Absolutely. critical. Working with Absolutely. your advisor, making sure you're putting that. When we come back, I want to talk about with, with Tommy. We're going to get his insight on titling assets because you don't think about it. You've changed your will. You've made some things happen. You want it to go this way by what you're saying in the will, but you forgot the title it the way that you got and it's a problem and everybody thinks well my attorney did it well my advisor did it well i think uncle john did it no you may have to look at it and that's our job to kind of help you move through that process so when we come back tommy's going to help us about failing to title assets correctly and why that's important i'm jim shoemaker and you're listening to talk money podcasts for talk money are available for ios mobile devices in the itunes store just search shoemaker financial We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Life insurance products contain fees such as mortality and expense charges and may contain restrictions such as surrender periods. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. While we're talking with Scott Jordan and Tommy Armstrong about avoiding common estate planning mistakes, we've covered everything that you can imagine. I mean, we're talking about updating beneficiaries, keeping adequate records, developing a plan, and then understanding that you're working through the process of that plan. But one of the things we see, and I'm just thinking, Tommy, this is a big issue. I've had to really sit down with a lot of clients and say, we've changed your will, we've changed your trust or whatever it is, and we've got to title the asset according to what that's being dictated by way of the will or the trust. And 
it, you know, it's like, okay, they're like deer in headlights. How do I do that? And so we get involved. Why is that so important? Well, part of the part of the overall estate plan is identifying what we have and where we want it to go in the event of a change. So asset titling plays into that by way of simplifying how certain assets go from the owner who is alive to the owner who is to the beneficiary now that the owner has passed it asset titling adds a layer of simplification to the estate planning process it also helps determine the specific direction and intentions of the owner of the asset well a lot of times we do this you know we talk about this where we put it in a trust and the trust needs to have the ownership of that piece of property or whatever it is and we forget to do that, and therefore you, it's supposed to avoid probate, but because you didn't change the title, boom, it's got all those. And it gets to be a complicated, and this is where a family can get into at odds with each other, because Dad said it's going to go into trust, and it didn't go into trust because somebody, he forgot to change the, the actual. Well, the, yeah. law, the law is going to follow the documents in place regardless of, of what was written. speculation or intention. That's right. So using the law to your advantage to title your assets if if you do establish a trust make sure the trust is the owner make sure your will has the pour over provision so that anything that didn't that got acquired after the trust rolls into it upon the death of the the person who established trust if i as i was talking earlier this uh, during the monologue we've got an aging population and you know we're going to really? have you know, and this aging population at 85 is needing care on a daily basis yes. And so now all of a sudden we've got this huge incapacity process. We didn't deal with that too long ago. I mean, basically, if a person got into a bad health situation, uh, they didn't live that long. But today we've got people that have got health issues. They're living to the point of becoming incapacitated. So let's talk about a proper estate plan when you're dealing with that. Well, again, estate planning oftentimes points to the the passing of an individual. But really estate planning and encompasses something as simple as planning how decisions would be made for someone if they cannot make decisions for themselves. Something as simple as a husband giving a wife a power, a durable, general power of attorney, so that if there are assets in the husband's name, the wife can speak to people about them. An individually titled asset without a power of attorney or a specific authorization, the wife will be unable to speak to the provider of that asset. You know, we talked about this before on the other many programs before, the reality that so many people think, well, I am married. A marriage license does not give a person the authority to do things. We actually sometimes have to protect assets, even though the couple is married. You do need, be specific, a very strong, durable power of attorney. And although although you led with the aging population, the, the uh, trends toward incapacity are coming earlier and earlier and earlier. We have a large population of our military heroes who have served in very stressful situations leading us into the PTSD issues. So capacity can happen not just at 85, but at 55 or 45 or 35. And that's where an estate planning tool of the durable general power of attorney today is so critical in simplifying what we're trying to do and starting us down a path for a complete estate plan. Well, that's that's critical for everybody to know. So you need to plan for incapacity. Scott, we got a few minutes left. What about the review and 
up date of an estate plan? How often do you do this? And, and why is it so necessary to always keep moving and keep this thought and going back to Ryan's word earlier, fluidity, fluid? Well, I think that's because things change, Jim. You know, it's whether it's changes in the law, changes in your family situation. Uh, maybe you've changed the way you feel about certain situations. You were going to leave certain things to a specific child, and you no longer feel that that's the best thing to do. So it's important to, you know, after you, we, we always encourage clients, let's get those basics taken care of the will. You know, financial and healthcare durable power of, our power of attorney, as uh, Tommy talked about in that living will. And those are critical, but it's also critical to review those and make sure that they're up to date with how you feel today. You know, whether we've got it currently, the state law, the what is it, 11.18 million per person is excluded now. So yeah. that's not, you know, that's a lot that, that people can exempt from a tax situation, but. That law is set to sunset in 2025, so, so it's yeah. important to consider that and, and think about how we're going to review if that does drop back down and then we find ourselves in a situation. So the reality is if you've got a plan, you said earlier, started with a program, you start with a plan. Have a plan. And then make sure you're reviewing it. Make sure you're reviewing it, at least for most people every three years. Now, in more complex situations, like we mentioned earlier, it may be that you need to do that twice a year or annually. But for three years, at least every three years, sit down and go back over everything. And, and make I think sure we'd always still... want everybody to know, get you a good estate planning attorney. Make sure that you know what you're trying to get done. Have an idea before you sit down with the attorney of what you're trying to do, but develop an estate plan. Keep adequate records. Always think about the records you're keeping. Update your beneficiary designations and title your assets correctly. Tommy talked about that. Be sure that you've named appropriate beneficiaries. Look at incapacity and get you a durable power of attorney so somebody can act on your behalf if you can't. That's always important. And then, as Scott says, do a review every every three to five years make sure you're staying on top of that thanks for being a part of today's program guys thank you so much for participating we appreciate you listening of course i appreciate the fact that this is a program that is educational and we hope entertaining we thank you for being a part of today's program i'm jim shoemaker this is talk money talk money is produced by greg ratliff guest and content coordination francis fortner production assistant eleanor moskovitz Compliance Officer Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Tommy Armstrong, Scott Jordan, and Ryan Ely are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.